0: What a great time of worship, huh? What a great morning. We are a healthy church, worship that honors Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking into the Word of God, baptisms, families. What an exciting morning. Uh, what a great time to be with you. I, I, on that last song, did you, uh, you built it out? I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I get here early, and so I get it when they're in the practice. I sit back over here. It's dark. Nobody knows I'm here. I was singing so loud. There's a place for me. I'm the child of God. Yes, I am. It's so exciting to be able to come and let the gospel of Jesus Christ sink into our hearts again and again. It was a great week, but we need to get together and worship. So what a great morning. We're gonna continue our study in the book of Mark this morning as we look uh, at our Lord Jesus Christ in a deeper way. And uh, he's gonna be speaking to us. uh, But before he speaks to us through his word, let's bow our heads and hearts and talk to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this morning for our new members, for those who have taken the step of baptism and received the sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Thank you for these families that have worked so hard to raise these kids and will work hard to raise these kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Thank you for our pastors, for our, our servants here this morning that have made this possible, our worship team. We thank you for all that you are doing in our lives. And now, Lord, as we come to look into your word, we need truth. We need you to speak into our hearts. And so we ask that you would be honored. We commit our time to you. We pray for the one who teaches that you would forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For our focus is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, past Monday, Monday past, uh, was the college football playoffs. Yeah. How many stayed up late to watch the game on Monday night? Okay, I see a few hands out there. I don't know about you guys, but I I was rooting for the Tigers. (laughs) I want you to know. Um, And um, uh, for some of you, that was a good day. Your Tigers won and the other Tigers lost. Somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. I really didn't have... um, a dog in that hunt, so uh, I, was, I was a happy man. But somebody had to win and somebody had to lose. Now today, today is a high and holy day as well in the NFL football world because the conference championships are gonna take place this afternoon and this evening. And I hope you don't have anything in the way of such a high and holy uh, holiday as that. This is how it's gonna work out, you ready? I'm not a prophet, but this is how it's gonna work out. The uh, Titans are going to play the who? the chiefs now what's going to happen is the chiefs are going to win that contest and then later later the san francisco 49ers my team are going to be playing the green bay packers and they're going to beat the packers and it's going to be the chiefs and the 49ers in the playoffs and uh and and the 49ers are going to win i mean you know somebody's got to win somebody's got to lose it might as well be my team I bought the t-shirt, it's on the way, I'll wear it next time I preach, just to shove it in your faces, um, because uh, that's the way it is. Now a lot of you could care less about sports today, I understand that. A lot of you don't care, a lot of you are saying, why are you wasting the time? Well here's why, because every one of us as Christ followers has to understand that there's a contest taking place every day, behind the scenes. There's an unseen contest and a seen contest. There's a battle. There's a spiritual warfare that's taking place every day. And we have a vested interest in that contest. Uh, And you and I, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. And I want you to know who the winner is. His name is Jesus Christ. He's won. He's going to win. But the battle still continues. And and there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. It's a zero-sum game. And those who are on Jesus' side wins, and those who are not on Jesus' side lose. That's just the way it is. And the text that we're going to look at right now proves that in a powerful way that we're looking at Jesus, the undefeatable. Last week, we talked about greatness. As God defines greatness, today, you might say we're talking about winning. As we look at what Jesus does in all of this contest that he has with all of these people. It's an amazing text because Jesus never loses. He wins all of the intellectual arguments and the debates that he has with people. And then he brings brings them to the end of themselves. They have nowhere to stand. But then he gives them hope and grace and mercy and shows them how to live in the here and now. Before he comes again and cleans up the mess completely. It's a great text, long passage. Are you ready? We'll be here until the three o'clock game starts. (laughs) I'll get you out of here on time. Relatively speaking, Mark 10, verses one through 13. This is God's holy word. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as what, catch this, as was his custom, he A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go. Go We have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake, for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. This is God's holy word thanks be to God. And many of you are doubting me. Don't do that. You can't get through this text. Oh, yes, I can. It's a long text, isn't it? 31 verses. It's a lot. And it breaks out in in three key areas, the gospel and divorce, the gospel and children and the gospel and money. But I want to start real quick. Uh, And and, and the reason why we're, we're taking such a big chunk is because really it all flows together. And in each one of those points, you're going to see that Jesus has a gospel point and a growth point. He has something for each one of us about coming to faith in him and then for living for him. And it's powerful, but we've got to start with how Jesus taught people because it starts out and it says, as was his custom, what did he do? As was his custom, he taught them. He taught them. Now, it's amazing as we, if I were to ask every one of you, what grabs your attention more, the teachings of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus? The healings of Jesus or the teaching of Jesus? I suspect that your answer would be largely dependent upon how you were raised. If you were raised in a church where the miracles and the healings were predominant and that was a big part of the church life, then probably you're more interested in the healings or the miracles of Jesus if you were raised. Perhaps in a more teaching church, as I was, uh, then uh, you might be more interested in the teachings of of Jesus. Um, but but it's fascinating here that it says that as was Jesus' custom, he what taught them. Now Jesus did tons of miracles and tons of healings. But it it is fascinating here that Jesus himself, uh, as he thinks about his ministry, how does he self-identify? He says, I am the, what, way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, he says that in the Gospel of John. And, And so what we see is that miracles are important, but they're subsidiary to Jesus' teaching. And it's important for us to keep that in mind that the the miracles of Jesus authenticate the identity of Jesus, and therefore, knowing who he is as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, that authenticates his teaching as having authority in our lives. And what does he do in all three of these situations? He's teaching on subjects, uh, divorce, marriage and divorce, children and money. And and, and, And his teaching is going to be very, very important. Why is this important for us? Partly to understand that it is the teaching of Jesus that shows us that he is the way, the truth and the life, and that we must focus on Jesus as the way. Every one of us has friends in our lives who uh, who always love us. They love us and they have a wonderful plan for our life, right? They're always trying to convince us of something. I have a friend in my life who's always trying to convince me of certain theological ideas. And he gets me quite regularly after I teach and he pulls me to the side. and He says, this is what I want you to know. One of the things he says, and I think he's right, is that today we live in a day and age in which so many Christians are saying, You know, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my faith system. I trust in Jesus. You might have a belief system. My belief system is Jesus. Now, the problem with that, sounds good. The problem with that is that that's not how Jesus self-identifies. He doesn't say, hey, I'm an option for your life. I'm a way. I'm a belief system. Uh, And too many of us as Christians today, my friend says, I think he might be right, are saying, I follow Jesus, you follow whoever you want. And, and, and that kind of gets us off the hook. But the point is, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. You want to get into hot water? Hot water makes you feel clean, by the way. Sometimes it's a good thing to do next time you're talking to somebody who says, what do you believe? And you say, what do you believe? And uh, you say, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I believe he's the way for every one of us. And I believe he's the way for you, whether you accept him or reject him. I believe he is the way. And that's why Jesus taught and just didn't do miracles because miracles make your eyes as big as saucers, but it is the truth of Jesus that transforms the heart. It is the words of God. It is the gospel message that actually transforms. Miracles are nice. I like miracles. That's great. But what changes a heart is the word of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The other reason why it's important to see that Jesus taught rather than just did miracles is that everywhere he went, he looked around and what did he see? He saw people. And what did he see about people? that their lives were a mess. Everywhere Jesus went, he saw people as depressed, discouraged, needing a shepherd, and he longed within his heart to fix their situations. So he talks about marriage, he talks about little children, and he talks about money, because that's where three key areas where people were messing up so much. I love it, Matthew. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like the sheep without a shepherd. And that's why he said to the disciples, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that we get more workers because there's so many dispirited, discouraged people who need the way, the truth, the life. So that's why Jesus spent a lot of time teaching and why he's going to teach on these subjects here. Notice there's two types of responses to Jesus, the Pharisees who wanted to test him and the disciples who were asking him questions later after Jesus drops the bombs about marriage and divorce that the Pharisees see the Pharisees are just looking for a way to trip Jesus up to bring him up on charges of heresy. How can we get Jesus to talk so we can see him transgress the law of Moses? Then we got him. The disciples later are talking about the marriage thing to understand. And so there really are two different responses to Jesus, aren't there? Where are you? Where am I? Am I wanting to trip him up and test him? Or am I wanting to learn from him? All right. Well, with that as a foundation, let's look at these three points got a covenant child up here who's not happy with my words. And I, that's okay. That's all right. It's okay. I, if I do my job right, I might be able to put him to sleep here in just a minute. But he can stay as long as he wants. He make any comment. I can handle it. All right. So here it is. So with that in mind that Jesus is teaching for the good of the people, I want you to note, first of all, the God, chickening out, huh? Oh, good. Oh, I love it. In a couple of weeks, I get to, to baptize my grandson uh, too. And uh, Joe, what a special day. All right. The Gospel in Divorce, verses 2 through 12. Now, you, you're getting more content today than you, you signed up for, but we're going to do this pretty quickly. But but notice in the gospel in divorce in verses 2 through 12, the Pharisees come up. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to test him. And so Jesus gives some explanations on divorce. They said, Moses gave a way out. It's true. Deuteronomy 24, 44. uh, Deuteronomy 24, that's where this is taught. It's true. Moses gave an explanation uh, of how they could get out of their marriage. But notice But notice what Jesus says is that marriage is to be a relationship between a man and a woman for life. Students, young people, you need to see the Bible's very easily understood on the subject of marriage. Marriage is a lifelong covenantal relationship between a man and a woman. And it's not up for debate in spite of what some Bible teachers are trying to say today. There it is. Now, I'm very sympathetic to my friends and the people I know that have same-sex attraction. I get that. I'm, it's, it's, it's difficult. But the reality is, is, is marriage is for a man and a woman in a covenant relationship between the between them and the God of the universe. That's what it is. And a marriage ceremony is implied here, even though there's no marriage ceremony in all of the Bible. Interesting. But here it is. Uh, and, and, And as one flesh, they should not separate. Divorce is not God's ordained, ideal plan. And when they are united in marriage, they become one flesh. These are the implications, these are the simple teachings of Scripture here at this point. And so this is also saying that the sexual relationship is reserved for marriage. It's easy to understand. Young people understand that. That's what God blesses. That's what's God's way. Parents, that's what you teach your kids. That's what you expect. That's what you hope for. That's what you pray for. That's God's way about divorce. Yes, there's more in the new Testament. Jesus says the abandonment of the believer by the unbeliever or infidelity. uh, Those are uh, possibilities for divorce. But, But do you have more questions to ask about divorce or remarriage with what I've just said? Of course you do. Jesus never intended in this text to give the full teaching on divorce, marriage. Do you have questions? Yeah, you know what I found in over 30 years of ministry? Every divorce is different. Every marital issue that comes into my office is different. And so Jesus here is not intending to give a systematic theology of marriage and divorce. What he's intending to do is say this. This is God's ideal, lifelong commitment and if you, if you don't do it, you just prove that you've broken the law. If you, if you divorce, you... But see, all of us, all of us at one level, even if you've had a very long marriage, we've all broken the law when it comes to marriage, haven't we? I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount. Because what Jesus does when it comes to marriage is he says... He says that it's the spirit of violation of the laws and not just the act of violating of the laws. What Jesus does in this whole thing on marriage, they're trying to trip him up. And he basically says to them, listen, marriage and how difficult marriage is proves that all of us in one way or another violate the law when it comes to marriage. Have I been a perfect husband? No, I have not. And so at this level, Marriage and those relationships show that we all have violated the law and need a Savior. By talking about marriage, what Jesus is bringing up here is the reality is I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Everyone who's involved in marriage needs a Savior because we all break the law. And Jesus says, I have fulfilled it. I will fulfill it. Because you see, they're on the way to Jerusalem, aren't they? Right now, they're on the way to the cross. And that's why this is a gospel message, the gospel point, when it has to do with marriage, you could try to trip him up, but the bottom line is, if, anybody out there, and all of my friends who are not saved, they need a savior and marriage proves it. You want, if I've said a couple of weeks ago that marriage is the greatest school for discipleship if you're a Christian, but it's also one of the most difficult things to do. Right. And it shows the hardness of our heart at times. And so there's a teaching point for those of us who have actually come to a Savior. I know people that have come to faith in Christ because they couldn't make it in their marriage and they were brought to the end of themselves. That's what Jesus brings us up for, to bring us to the end of ourselves. Say, I need a Savior because I can't do this. But for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, here's a growth point that just as we needed him when we came to faith in Christ, we need him at the very center of our marriages right now, don't we? Every day every day to remember who I am and that I need his power to flow into my relationships. And that his character has to be there for my spouse. So Jesus is powerful. Um, And, and, and he shows us that he defeats every idea that we have, that we have arrived. No, we haven't arrived. I like the bumper sticker that I saw the other day, I thought I'd beca- I, um, I never thought I'd become a grumpy old man, but here I am crushing it. <laughs> you ever that way in marriage, guys? Counselor said to a lady, um, do you normally wake up grumpy in the morning? She said, no, I let him sleep in. <laughs> I'm throwing us guys under the bus here because it's not politically correct to attack women, but what I do know from counseling... <laughs> I do know from counseling experience that it takes two to tango and that we need God's grace in our marriages. And so the gospel, uh, the gospel is so powerful because it, marriage shows us brings us to the end of ourselves and our need for his power every day number two he shows us the gospel and, and children verses 13 through 16 and bringing all the children to them and, and we saw this text last week as we talked about greatness you can go back and listen to that message if you want to but uh what what we said last week was that when it came to children. Uh, and greatness, the whole idea of greatness, children in the first century did not have as high a standing as children have today. They, they were baptized in the early church, yes. The children of believers uh, were, were set apart, yes, that's true. Uh, but in the Jewish community, uh, the death of infants, in most of the world, the death of infant, uh, infants was s- such a high rate, that only as they got older were they given more attention. Kids were often viewed as nuisances. And they didn't have as high a standing as they have today. I love the story of one, uh, one man asked a Jewish woman when fetuses become viable. And she said, when they graduate from law school. <laughs> I know, that's awful. But, you know, the reality... The reality is that's not far off from the attitude in the first century about children. And so what is Jesus doing when he brings this child in? He's saying, you guys, you adults, you think you've arrived. You think you've done so much for God. You think you've done so many sacrifices, given so much money, uh, done so many good deeds. You think by the sheer weight of all that you've done and what you've achieved by becoming an adult, by getting to this far in life, that you have it all together. You don't. This is the essence of Christianity, Jesus is saying. It's like a child who receives in faith and trust what I will do when I go to the cross. It's not about how you keep, you keep the law. The gospel point is bringing people to the end. Of, that's why he brings a child here, simply trusts him. That they've come to understand that the way of righteousness is not by keeping the law. The way of righteousness is trusting in Jesus Christ. That's good news. And that's the great news. And so, and so he is bringing to them a gospel point, but he's also bringing a growth point for those of us who are Christians and the growth point for those of us who have already accepted him is to say, I got to act like a child because the longer I follow Jesus, the more I act like I do have it all together. He looks at this young man and this young man has thinks that he's kept. We're going to see that in a minute that he's kept the whole law. Sometimes we think, I don't know, I I couldn't put a finger on any one particular sin in my life right now. Now I can, not on your life, but on my life. Um, But sometimes we think we've really arrived and we haven't. Thomas More said, humility, that low sweet root for which all heavenly virtues shoot. I love that. He brings the child because he says to us that even though we are brought to the end of ourselves through the gospel message, as we've come to faith in Christ, sometimes we forget and we think we're doing it. We're adults. We've made it happen and we still need to trust in humility. We have, as Brennan Manning says, we've stumbled upon an artesian well of grace and have been gulping its waters ever since. I love that. But sometimes we stop gulping the waters of grace. So Jesus brings us to the end of ourselves by saying, well, we need that humility of a child to keep growing where he wants us to keep growing. And then lastly, we see not only the gospel and divorce and the gospel in children, but the gospel and money. These are the longest passages. And did you notice that every one of these texts I could do a whole sermon on? Aren't you glad that I haven't? Yeah, I'm almost done, believe it or not. But the reality is in this whole text, this, this young guy looks at Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be saved? Jesus Jesus recounts the 10 commandments to him, most of them. And and the young guy actually says, I've done them. I do that. I live this way. I've been raised on the 10 commandments. I do these things. And what does the text say? It says, Jesus looked at the guy. I can almost picture his smile. Catch you. He just smiles at the guy. And he says, you haven't heard my Sermon on the Mount yet, have you? No. He smiles at him and he loves him. Because apparently this young man who was rich and powerful in some way really did try to follow the law. Jesus doesn't deny that he tried to follow the law. And and, and so he looks at him and he says, uh, he looks at him and, and, and Jesus says to him, tells him one thing to do. What is that one thing to do? Go and sell Everything you have. Now, for those of you who maybe, this is the first time you heard this text, I want you to know this is not for everybody, okay? It's for this young guy. It's not a normative principle that to become a Christian, you're to go out and sell everything you have. Whew, heavy sigh of relief. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is bringing this young man to the end of himself because he thinks he's obeyed the law. He thinks he's done it. He thinks he's done all these things right. And Jesus says, go sell everything you have. And right at that point, what is Jesus doing? Putting his finger on that man's vulnerability. No, you haven't obeyed the law in his spirit because your God is materialism. Your God is stuff. You are worshiping another God. You just didn't know it. And so Jesus, he says, when you say you call me good, no one's good but God alone. Are you confessing that I'm good? points to this young man and he brings him to the end of himself and the young man goes away and he says, man's depressed because he wants to go to heaven and he wants to keep his other gods. And that's simply something Jesus will not allow. So you see, there's a gospel point here and that is coming to faith in Christ. uh, He brings us to the end of uh, ourselves and he says, there's only one God you can only trust in one God. You cannot serve God and mammon. He doesn't say it here, but he says it in other places. And so he brings us to the end of ourselves. What's our choice going to be? But there's a, there's a growth point for us too. And that growth point is, hmm, have I gone back and reinserted other idols in my life that have suddenly taken the place more than Jesus. Hey, I'm not going to cast this on you. I'm a recovering materialist myself, but I do know how, how real this is. What's Jesus doing? We got to pull it together. What Jesus does in this great text of teaching us is showing us that he is the way, the truth, the life. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's going to, to ride the donkey into Jerusalem as the the king, but a king with a cross. He will take the cross. He has lived a perfect life for us. Now he's going to take our curse for us in just a, a few short weeks. And he's teaching us because he wants us to flourish. He wants to bring us to the end of ourselves. And he uses marriage, kids, and money to do it. And show us that if our hope is in any of those things of our own self-effort rather than Him, we've missed what the gospel is. So if you've never accepted Christ, we invite you to do that today. I'd love to talk to you after the service. If He's brought you to the end of your point, your life and marriage hasn't worked and, 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 and your own self-assurance hasn't worked uh, and, and, and money hasn't worked, Nothing fails quite like success, someone has said. Then we'd love for you to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, I'd love to talk to you about it. But for the rest of us who have, these are reminders how even in our marriages and in our self effort and with our achievements, it's easy to put something in front of the Savior. And true freedom is coming back to who we are in Christ. Remembering that you're a child of God. Remembering that if you put your faith in Christ, no one can redefine you unless you let them. But you are a deeply beloved, redeemed son or daughter of the Most High God. Rest in that. Rest in that. And then as you go out of here, remember that he's teaching you about these things and other subjects not to mess up your life, but that you could find the way of freedom and repentance and humility and joy because Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. So would you pray I take these points to heart? And I'll pray you do too. Let's pray. Father, as your children today, We need you by your Holy Spirit to remind us of who we are, that we can't create our own identity, but you've given us a new one and that your teaching is always good for us. And so, Lord Jesus, as we listen to your words in these difficult areas of life, we pray that you would help us to lean on you and trust you wholly, not in our works not in our way, but in yours. And we give you praise and honor and glory for all that you've accomplished as we pray in your holy name. Amen.